Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon podcast, episode eight. Last week, if you remember, we talked about long ago when I would pick my classes for college. Well, today I'm going to throw it way back and talk about my memories of growing up in the 70s. I had many happy memories as a kid. I was outside a lot. In fact, I loved to ride skateboards. I loved to roller skate. I played football on the streets, basketball at the neighborhood courts. I loved hanging out with my friends and riding my bike everywhere I could, paved or not. It might sound strange, but... One of the things I do remember fondly actually took place inside. Watching TV. Oh, the time spent watching. The Waltons, The Six Million Dollar Man, Adam 12, Little House on the Prairie, and The Partridge Family. Those were the days. I especially remember Sunday nights were nights for, what, the wonderful world of Disney. As I grew older and I got to stay up later, I would get to watch the best the NBC Mystery Movie Nights. I remember those. I remember hearing the opening music and seeing a silhouetted figure walking across the landscape at sunset with a flashlight in his hand that swept back and forth in the dark. Let's see, there was Macmillan and Wife, McLeod and Quincy MD, M.E. Oh, I just figured out M.E. stood for Medical Examiner. Hmm. Well, that makes a lot more sense now that I remember back then. But my favorite show was Hands Down Columbo, starring Peter Falk. When you first see Lieutenant Columbo, he looked like a bum that just came off the street. He had a rumpled overcoat on, his hair was messy, and he had a bumbling demeanor that seemed to chomp on the same short cigar on a daily basis. However, beneath all that comical exterior was a shrewd, question-asking, relentless, intelligent, Probably the most dogged investigator in the entire Los Angeles Police Department. He had many annoying traits, but a lot of them were very endearing. One of the lines his character was most famous for saying was, Just one more thing. He was Lieutenant Columbo, and he always solved the mystery. Now, I don't picture myself or any of you as rumpled, bumbling, or chomping on a short cigar. But I do know... If we are to be effective scriptorians, we must be more like Columbo than different. Yeah, you see, Columbo was involved in situations that on the surface seem like open and shut cases. However, what made this detective special is he noticed those things that weren't so obvious. He looked beyond the obvious. He recognized clues that were there but unspoken. And he asked lots of questions. Today we'll start off where we left off last week. If you remember, in verse 23 of Helaman chapter 5, Nephi and Lehi were delivered from danger by being encircled by fire, which disrupted their captor's plan to slay them. Verse 24 says, And when they saw that they were encircled about with a pillar of fire, 
and it burned them not, their hearts did take courage. For they saw that the Lamanites durst not lay their hands upon them, neither durst they come near unto them, but stood as if they were struck dumb with amazement. And it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi did stand forth and began to speak unto them, saying, Fear not, for behold, it is God that has shown you unto this marvelous thing, in which it is shown unto you that you cannot lay your hands on us to slay us. Here's a question. If we were only to see the obvious, this would be a perfect reaction from superhero-type Book of Mormon missionaries, right? Instead of just seeing the obvious, I'm going to slow down and think for a moment what might be really going on here. You remember these brothers haven't eaten for many days. They most likely feel weak and hungry. When I read verse of 24 that says their heart took courage, the word took is a clue that tells me their hearts were in a lesser place than before. That's okay. I mean, I don't believe that they had given up or anything, but maybe they were feeling down and a bit discouraged. Ah, yes, a sign that these men weren't superhumans. They get bummed just like you and me. Yet now, as I read verse 26, I'm impressed with how they reacted to this renewed boost of courage. What do they do? Do they stand up and use that newfound courage to berate their enemies, giving them a barrage of, we told you so, and all about how God is on their side and not blah, blah, blah. You know, they didn't do that. No way. Instead, I noticed the first thing out of their mouth is, fear not. They see the fear on the faces of their captors, and their first instinct is to reassure and teach them what is happening and why. Also, notice the way they describe the fire that surrounds them. They define this intimidating blaze of light as a marvelous thing. They chose to explain it this way because it brings reassurance and not fear. Nephi and Lehi choose words that encourage understanding and brought calm in the place of words that would have provoked further confusion and increased agitation. Maybe they're not superhumans but humans with super hearts. I have found that when I give space and thought to what isn't written in words, or what isn't obvious, the Spirit teaches. When we are taught by the Spirit, it's different than just feeling good about what we read. The experience of being taught by the Spirit seems to accumulate in our hearts. Somehow we improve. I don't know, it's... As we continue to be taught by the Spirit, it's like each of those moments accumulate in our heart and strengthen our testimonies. We're improved. We're changed. We're better than we were before. In his list of remembrances to his sons, Helaman stressed the importance of the principles of repentance. He was clear that only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ could man be saved. He has the power to redeem his people and bring redemption to their souls. He said that he has been sent angels to declare conditions of repentance, one of which is redemption from their sins through repentance, not in their sins. I mentioned last week we're going to witness an up-close-and-personal view of some of the most beautiful steps of the repentance process. There is so much we could talk about in these verses, If you and I were hanging out in my living room, we could take as long as we wanted to and talk about it all, but we can't. But you can definitely come over sometime, and I'd love to do that with you. But for now, because I value the time you've set aside to listen to this podcast, 
I've had to pick and choose what to share out of my favorite parts. First, I want to reiterate the importance of asking questions. At the same time, I need to tell you from personal experience, not all your questions will be answered, and that's okay. However, every so often a question will be answered pretty quick, and it's quite cool when it happens. This happened to me during this chapter. If you recall last week, we read about the rude reception Nephi and Lehi received when they entered the land of Nephi. I remember I wondered if they'd even prayed about making this their next destination. Do you remember that? Well, I found in verse 29, it gave me a very fast answer to that question. The Lord says, quote, And seek no more to destroy my servants, whom I have sent unto you, to declare good tidings. The Lord himself tells me he's the one that sent them. Of course, Nephi and Lehi prayed about where they should go next. They felt the Lord's direction to enter the land of Nephi. Notwithstanding their abrupt welcome, they knew they had made the right decision. I love it when a question I wrote down is quickly answered. And it's even better when the answer comes from the scriptures directly from the Lord. This is a good lesson for me to think about. I feel if I've made an inspired decision and it is met with difficulty and trial right off, it doesn't necessarily mean I've made an uninspired decision. As we'll see in the following story, the Lord has different plans on how His work will be accomplished. It's not always the way we think it will be done. In keeping up with the TV watching theme, I'll catch you up with what's happening. The first scene unfolds in verses 28 through 34. A large group of Lamanites and Nephite dissenter prisoners have been overshadowed with a cloud of darkness. This cloud of darkness plays a critical part in the lives of these prisoners. In addition, each time the voice of Nephi, Lehi, or God himself speaks the truth, the earth shakes and the walls tremble as though they will tumble to the earth. The walls of the prison tumbling down never actually happens, but the threat is real. Combine the voices that are demanding repentance, a shaking earth, trembling walls, and the darkness that has surrounded and overshadowed everything, we have enough ambiance to keep the prisoners on edge for sure. In fact, so much so, we read that they are immovable because of the fear that has come upon them. Enter Aminadab. What do we know about him? In verse 35, it tells us that he was a Nephite by birth, who once belonged to the church of God, but has since dissented from it. The next six verses tell us what he did. However, I think seeing what's not spelled out or obvious can open our eyes to what's really happening here. Verse 36 is chock full of symbolism and clues. So let's do one of my favorite things. Let's dissect it. Scalpel, please! The verse reads, And it came to pass that he turned him about. And behold, he saw through the cloud of darkness the faces of Nephi and Lehi. And behold, they did shine exceedingly, even as the faces of angels. And he beheld, they did lift up their eyes to heaven. And they were in the attitude as if talking or lifting their voices to some being whom they beheld. Now, the first thing that I noticed was the contrast between the paralyzed state of Aminadab's fellow inmates and Aminadab's ability to move. I'm not sure why he could move, but I think it's interesting that we are told how he moved. So let's ask some questions. 
Of all the movements Aminadab must have exhibited during this time, standing up or stepping back or covering his face, it's the action of he turned him about that is emphasized. Turning around. Why is this? Why is this here? I'll take a second and imagine in my mind him turning around. Now I can see that he's facing a different direction. Could it be to turn oneself around and face a new direction is very symbolic? Pretty sure on our list of remembers, Helaman gave some strong doctrine about the subject of repentance. I believe we're going to watch and see that subject unfold before us. Now that we have a lesson of repentance in our minds, let's go down that road. We'll read the words, but think about what we are being taught beyond what's written. After Aminadab turned his attention away from, let's say, what was holding him captive, what could he do? He could see through the darkness. He could see past dimness and gloom. More questions. What did he see? He saw the faces of prophets. Behold, did shine exceedingly. So far we have Aminadab turned himself around, looked through the darkness, saw Nephi and Lehi shining faces. What were Nephi and Lehi doing? Let's see. It says they lifted their eyes to heaven and talking to some whom they some being whom they beheld. They lifted their eyes to heaven and talking to some being whom they beheld. Okay. Let's see what we have after dissecting. Aminadab, a Nephi descendant, turned himself around. He was able to see through the darkness. He saw prophets that communicated with heaven. This gets better, continuing on. Oh my gosh. Verse 37, And it came to pass that this man did cry unto the multitude, that they might turn and look. And behold, there was power given unto them, that they did turn and look. And they did behold the faces of Nephi and Lehi. 38, and they said unto the man, Behold, what do all these things mean? And who is it with whom these men do converse? We've read the words, Now, what do we see that's not written? Wanting to share what he had experienced, Aminadab called out to his fellow prisoners. He directed them to what? Turn and look. However, remember when we read earlier, those he spoke to could not flee or move because of their fear? Verse 37 tells us they were given power. Did anybody else catch that? Those four words were just kind of thrown in there like we weren't going to notice. Don't they know that we're the detectives? Don't they know I'm a Columbo watcher? What is the power that was given? Well, we know after it was given, they're able to do something they could not do on their own. Hmm. We need to ask ourselves, what is it called when we are given power to do that which we cannot do on our own? Grace. The definition of grace is explained in the Gospel Topics section at LDS.org. Look it up. It fits perfectly to what is happening here. Suffice it to say, through the grace of Jesus Christ, the prisoners were given the ability to move. They turned and beheld the faces of Nephi and Lehi. After the prisoners were able to turn and put their eyes on the men that shined in the darkness, they began to ask the questions. 38. And they said unto the man, Behold, what do all these things mean, and who is it with whom these men do converse? Then comes what I call the million-dollar question. 40. 
And it came to pass that the Lamanites said unto them, What shall we do that this cloud of darkness may be removed from overshadowing us? If that question doesn't hit you right between the eyes, talk about obvious. So what do you think the prisoners want? They want to know what's happening. They want out of the darkness. They want light. Somehow this descendant Nephite Aminadab remembers. He remembered that there was a way out of the darkness. He remembered he had to look past the blackness and gloom. He remembered to look to the prophets, cast his eyes up to heaven, commune with God, and obey the voice that pierced his soul, saying to repent. Yes, he remembered doing these things was the way out of darkness. 41. And Aminadab said unto them, You must repent and cry unto the voice, even until you shall have faith in Christ, who was taught to you by Alma and Amulek and Zezrom. And when ye shall do this, the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you. And they did what he said. 42. And it came to pass that they did all begin to cry unto the voice of him who had shaken the earth. Yea, they did cry even until the cloud of darkness was dispersed. What happens next is nothing short of miraculous. They looked up and saw no more darkness. Instead, they were encircled by a pillar of fire. This time they were not fearful. They were filled with unspeakable joy and full of glory. Their hearts were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke marvelous words, and because of their faith in Christ, peace was given to them. These prisoners were set free. We read that 300 went forth and ministered unto the people convincing many of the Lamanites. What does that look like, you might ask? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like they laid down their weapons of war, laid down their hatred and tradition of their fathers, and yielded up the lands to the Nephites that were in their possession. After receiving the Lord's sure direction to move forward into the land of Nephi, they obeyed. Of course it was a good idea, I'm sure Nephi and Lehi thought. After all, they had just come from a much success teaching and baptizing 8,000 Lamanites and descended Nephites. What could go wrong? The Lord had a plan, and they were willing to do whatever He required. But you know what? Here's the rub. Willing or not, we don't always know what the Lord's plan is. After all, who would have guessed a rebellious Nephite in prison, in a land far from home, would remember doctrine taught to him long ago? Doctrine that gave him faith to see through darkness and turn his life to Christ. Doctrine he would share to help motivate others to escape darkness and seek light everlasting. Most of all, who would have guessed the Lord's plan was to discontinue using two men to convert thousands? Instead, he changed the hearts of 300 to convert the countless. I found a quote from a talk by President Benson given in 1989, and I loved it. It fit the verses we discussed today quite well. In fact, I've taken the liberty to change just one word to make it fit perfectly. I don't think President Benson would mind, so here it goes. I'm sure you've heard this before, but I'm going to read it anyway. The Lord works from the inside out. The world works from the outside in. The world would take the people out of the prison. Christ takes the prisons out of people. And then they take themselves out of the prison. The world would mold men by changing their environment. Christ changes men 
who then changed their environment. The world would shape human behavior, but Christ can change human nature. I opened this podcast with sharing a memory of watching Columbo as a kid. I mentioned something this detective was most famous for. It wasn't how he always proved who the bad guy was, and it wasn't how he could read clues that were obvious and those that weren't. It was after most informal interrogations with the suspected criminal, Colombo was famous for living the scene, only to return a few seconds later with the phrase, Just one more thing. Like the lieutenant said, just one more thing. It's not important to discover it first. It's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.